Okay. Uh, firstly, uh, thanks, Chair and Kieran, for organising this and for inviting me to, to take part. Um, I've been at, at this before, and I think I said it in a, in a reply to somebody on, on social media that uh, any of these events, if you pick up one good idea or make one good contact, it's 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 a worthwhile um, few hours out of out of your day. Um, I suppose we're moving on to sport here, and um, it's, it's a sad day for Irish sport, obviously, with the death in, in Paris, and um, I think we should should note that, uh, uh, a giant of, of the sports field. And um, we'll open up um, with the presentation from Colleen Duffy. He's a freelance sports journalist, and uh, so it's over to you, Colleen. Thanks very much. Um, good morning. Um, it's my first time at a meeting like this, and I have to say, um, the attendance this morning it's brilliant to see and it shows such enthusiasm among freelancers and I suppose monetary issues were touched on there it's one thing I've had a lot of problems with over the years as well but uh, I don't think that's going to change anytime soon but I'm here to, as Jim said to talk a bit about sports journalism uh, this morning and just a little bit of my background firstly because there's a lot of people in the room probably don't know what I do I've been a freelance sports journalist for the past 13 years um, for me, starting off when I was in college in UCD, it actually came quite organically for me because I w I'm from Leash myself and I started up a Leash GA website when I was in college, or sorry, when I was in final year in secondary school and my enthusiasm grew for there, people took notice and then it's been pretty busy ever since. I've been involved with a lot of most of the national papers, a fair whack of uh, local provincial papers on the island as well. Um, bits of TV behind the camera. Um, I'm actually doing a postgrad at the moment in um, TV production and digital media, Australia down in Nemeton. It's accredited by uh, WIT down in the West Water for Gailtalk down in Ring. And I think uh, I've gone back to college after 10 years, and I think one of the things in journalism, whether it's sport or anything else, and certainly when you're a freelancer, even outside of media, is keeping on top of uh, current trends and technology and the way things are going. So that's why I've decided to do that particular course. Um, I've been on 60 different radio stations, both here and abroad as well. And I've also a keen interest in photography, and I've been lucky enough to have some photos published on the front and the back pages of a couple of national newspapers. Um, I, I said there about how important it is to uh, kind of keep ahead of things. I don't think there's a person in this room who, outside of journalism, also has similar tied interests as well. And I've been lucky enough to have a lot of opportunities in the area of PR over the years. Uh, all those roles that I mentioned there, they're all voluntary roles. I was the first national higher education GA PRO, so that is th that you're dealing with TG Cahar, Life, Transmissions, all the newspapers, everybody. Uh, I got wrangled into being Ulster Camogie PRO, even though I'm definitely not from Ulster. Uh, Leash Ladies Football was a uh, passion of mine. I'll touch on the area of women in sports journalism in a few minutes as well. Um, I really am the patron saint of lost GA causes. I've even <laughs> found myself involved with rounders. I'm sure some of you played it at school. And I'm currently um, joined uh, third level ladies Gaelic football PRO as well. And um, also anyone that speaks another language in this room. I mean, we've all gone through college, or we've all gone through secondary school, primary school, doing Irish. And I think that's another thing that I'm lucky to have and go with languages. So I do a lot of broadcasting through Irish for both Redmond Liffa and Redmond Gaeltachta as well. Um, um, so I suppose, well, what's the sports journalists? And well, I suppose sports journalists mainly are known as being sports fanatics. And often I find myself, and I'm sure Stephen will testify to this as well, that there's blurred lines between the two sometimes. Uh, I know Stephen has a particular passion for American sports, and uh, I'm sure he'll talk a bit about that in a second. Obviously, go keeping track of scores, stats, all that lark. Um, going to sporting events, interviewing players and coaches and uh, the final point there, most sports journalists come from a sports background as well. My dad was heavily involved in GA and ladies Gaelic football in particular. 
my sporting exploits on the pitch are pretty much non-existent but I was dragged all over the country for games in the most backward venues sometimes then so you know enthusiasm certainly uh, for whatever area of journalism you get involved with comes from somewhere um, I suppose just to delve into it a bit more and um, obviously the um, the front pages get a lot of attention but the back pages get probably more attention in a lot of cases as well and the sports section according to the stats shows that it has the widest range of readership 95% of male readers for instance read the sports page and I suppose it's as it says they're more interesting to read due to action rivalries etc and um, it's livelier also for the most part it tends to project more of a positive uh, viewpoint uh, rather than what you see on the front pages we're, we're all sick of bad news I suppose so if you delve into the sports pages more often than not you'll find good news although there are fair share of bad news stories as well obviously sports journalism the same as any other form of journalism the technology that's used microphones etc smartphones and obviously smartphones are pretty key in the current climate qualifications then and um, bachelor's degree in journalism uh, the course I'm doing at the moment actually is my first media related course I've done an arts degree in UCD but if you look at the alumni there or any arts course around the country uh, a lot of them have ended up in journalism as well and um, I suppose you know things that people don't teach I mean you must understand the sport that you're reporting on as well there's no use being sent to cover a Heineken Cup final and not knowing the rules of rugby it's just logic and that's that's basically the point there and um, then interestingly enough money came up and uh, salaries and I suppose that's a common thread throughout the freelance world media or otherwise and um, you know you could be lucky enough to get well paid but you can also be unlucky enough and there's probably more people that are unlucky than lucky in this business obviously the types of stories so your hard news story in a sporting sense um, you know it's 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 not exactly the same as a hard news story where you're hunting down gangland criminals or whatever but um, there can be times in sports journalism where you're actually having to focus on the negative there's been a managerial uh, problem or someone said something about somebody else or conflict does arise in sport it's a facet of life so that's there as well obviously game event stories match reports they're on the mill everyone knows but I suppose the thing about a match report as well is actually making it interesting I mean you do need the basics obviously the scores the scores the story of the game but it's how you tell the story of the game as well that's important and then features obviously that are my favourite thing to do actually but I don't get as much I don't get to do as much of them as I, I, as I used to do but um, yeah definitely you know you can spend time with a person you can actually understand um, the or you can build relationships based on that kind of content as well and obviously columns everyone has an opinion and there's certainly plenty of those sought um, in, the, um, in the media world um, obviously just a couple of quick basics like don't miss a deadline ever 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 um, you know it's it's uh, it's important and I suppose people were told when we mentioned money there earlier I suppose you know it's about not burning bridges as well if if you've missed a deadline you may not ne you may not ever get work from that particular media outlet again so you just have to be careful and then down to the basics as well spellings obviously and no excuse and uh, don't trust your memory as well. People often fall for that. Just double check and you won't go wrong. Yeah, so I, I, as I mentioned earlier, you need a great knowledge of the sport you're covering as a sports journalist. And um, it's important to have a hilarious sense of humor at times as well. You know, it's there's plenty of banter flowing around in the sports world. You definitely have to be outgoing. And I just have a video here from uh, fellow leashman Colin Parkinson who uh, now works for sports oh maybe I don't okay well that's <laughs> okay that's not there but uh, basically um, uh, as I said there it's important to have a good sense of humor be outgoing and um, because you're just not going to get anywhere in the sports business if you sit in a corner and are pretty quiet
Um, so just moving on to the role of women in sports media, and Jared was asking me to touch on this a little bit. Obviously, there's a hugely increasing important role for women in sports media, um, both in the mainstream uh, sports, um, GA, rugby, um, sports like that, soccer as well, um, but also in other sports as well. Um, I mentioned the LGFA changed the record campaign then there, and ladies Gaelic football, Camogie, I've been lucky enough uh, to cover a lot of that over the years. I covered the Irish women's rugby team before they were, uh, were popular as well and it's brilliant to see the way things have started to turn in that regard in terms of not just getting bums on seats and supporters turning up at games but also getting so-called serious journalists I suppose to actually go and see what's on offer because it's certainly just as good as the men's game so it definitely is exciting times uh, both on and off the pitch. Um, just to touch on a couple of women in sports media at the moment, I suppose two of the seven women <coughs> on that list have been stalled for years, but um, in the last couple of years there's certainly been an increasingly growing number of women in sports media, and this isn't an exhaustive list by any means, it's just uh, some of the ones that came off the top of my head, um, particularly the Three, the four towards the end who I've all worked with at some stage and Kleena Foley obviously has been one of the most respected uh, women's sports journalists and I, I suppose it shouldn't matter, women shouldn't be thrown in there, all of these are respected sports journalists in their own rights as well um, Kleena of course formerly of the Irish Independent, she's gone freelance in the last couple of years um, she's covered a number of Olympics and um, just brilliant woman to deal with, actually another Leash native as well. Um, we're a small county but we produce quite a lot of good media. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, so Kleena would be what I would call the de facto standard. Herself and Mary definitely paved the way for uh, women in sports journalism in this country. Mary of course the, um, involved in the sports editorial role in the Irish Times. Um, Marie Crow and an up-and-coming journalist um, from Six Mile Bridge in County Clare and she certainly wears her colours with pride and does a lot of work uh, for the Sunday Independence but also in recent times with the emergence of UTV Ireland uh, she's one of their sports anchors along with uh, Bernard O'Toole who used to work for FM 104 who I do a lot of stuff for as well then just I suppose to move into the Gale Gore zone if you like Ronnie McElwain from Monaghan has been the um, anchor for TG Carr's ladies football coverage for a long uh, number of years as well and I touched on the importance of having a second language. It doesn't necessarily matter if it's Irish or not because increasingly and I know obviously there's a range of different topics that people cover as freelancers in this room. I mean one thing certainly in Ireland and I, I can't think of the guy's name at the moment but I know there's a, a guy who's quite a good French speaker and anytime there's anything political or something like the gay marriage referendum or different things, French TV and radio will have him on and you know it's a huge asset for him to have a second language. Uh, Mara Trasse E. Doyle, um, that's Mara at the end with the rugby ball, um, she uh, studied primary school teaching in um, in Mary Immaculate College in Limerick and she's been fronting TG Carr's rugby coverage for the last couple of years. But I mentioned earlier kind of about the importance of mixing things up as well, and she's also the presenter of the FAILTA programme on TG Carr, uh, which uh, is a programme during the summer, and they go around and cover different festivals or see different parts of the Gale Talked areas around the country as well. Quite interesting. And Maura Trassi-Kallig started with TG Carr about three or four years ago, and uh, was working in the newsroom there and the newsroom there is also run by RTE so now she's based in Dublin and Maura's really, Maura Trass has really gone from strength to strength because she's basically um, the stand-in for Marty Morrissey when it comes to news reports now she's done an awful lot of things that Marty would have done in recent years because Marty, there's only one Marty Morrissey and you can't be everywhere I guess and then George Tracy, uh, a former colleague of mine at FM 104 um, Jer has switched over to News Talk in the last couple of months. She's the main weekend anchor for their sports bulletins. And Jer also um, 
dabbled a bit in online TV for Aviva, um, obviously in sports related as well. They have the Aviva Stadium as their sports sponsorship. They also uh, sponsor Irish soccer and different things as well. So Ger has done a lot of work around that. Um, I mentioned there a couple of months ago the LGFA Ladies Gaelic Football and the Change the Record campaign. Now I know this is kind of more PR maybe than actual uh, sports journalism, but it was a campaign this year to um, try and get a record attendance for the Ladies Gaelic Football Finals in Crow Park last month. They succeeded, they broke the record by three or four thousand, I think it was, and um, basically they couldn't have done it without the media and I suppose it's, it's the relationship between the two that's important as well. So they have very supportive media and you know it, it, it is important like if you're involved in any organization to make sure to bring the media inside and obviously as a flip side of that it's important for media and I think particularly freelancers because I've been lucky enough over the years of strong media a strong relationship with the likes of ladies football Kamogi, etc and I think these organizations that maybe don't get the coverage they deserve or kind of you know fighting for coverage they see value in freelancers and also um, for instance the Ladies Gaelic Football Association employ a freelance journalist Jackie Cahill um, to basically provide all their content to the newspapers and stuff and I know it appears in the 42.ie as well and other websites and um, it's basically they have to guarantee that they're going to get the space as it was in the print media or that the online outlets are going to use them. Um, so that, that's kind of a, another way because they know that they can't rely on newspapers to send staff journalists to games so they nip it in the bud by employing their own journalists and providing the content for free and everybody's happy. And it doesn't matter if it's sport or otherwise, if you can find an organisation that's kind of struggling for coverage and will get you on, will that's another idea for a couple of quid as well. And you are guaranteed that you'll get paid as well. Um, okay, so just moving on um, and talk, I suppose continuing that last point as well. Sports and the media, could they actually res uh, survive without each other? Well, the media provide information, interpretation and entertainment as well. Um, the content, I suppose, uh, as we all know, media content always edited and then represented by those who control media organisations. So I'm sure we've all, um, at some stage, sent in some copy for something, and then the sub editors or whoever's doing the headline writing puts a totally different twist on it, and you know the, that's that's the control that sometimes we don't have over our pieces that we send into the papers, and. Um, there's the reasons why some editing decisions are made, I suppose, making profits, everything's about money at the end of the day, shaping values, providing a public service, building artistic and technical reputations, and expressing self as well. Um, just to move away, I suppose, a bit from newspapers, and I suppose um, if we go back to traditional media in Ireland and I suppose the days of Radio Air and now RTA Radio Ahane and you know uh, there's a lot of sponsored programs back in the day there's a lot of us in this room including myself who wouldn't remember this we're far too young for that but uh, I'm sure there's a couple of I see a few heads who might remember programs being sponsored by the likes of Jacobs and stuff like that so basically I suppose what, what would happen if all TV documentaries for example were sponsored by environmental groups labour organisations women's groups, etc., you start to question the validity of the content, the quality of the content, and you know why, why we see and hear what we hear. Then, as an extension, what if 99% of all sports programming in the media was sponsored by capitalist corporations? And again, should be asked the questions about the content, who does it actually serve, and why we see what we see, and why we hear what we do. And um, obviously, internet's very important. Doesn't matter what area of life you're involved with, I suppose these days, uh, and you know that that influences our thoughts and opinions as well. And um, in a TV sense, it's not limited to sequential programming, and we're all our own editors now. You know, you can choose to watch two minutes of a YouTube video, or you can watch twenty seconds. 
Um, and I suppose from a sporting perspective, it then gives us the potential to create our own sporting realities and experiences as both spectators and virtual athletes as well. Um, as an extension, do sports depend on the media? No, not necessarily. But I did mention, of course, earlier on that certain emerging sports that don't get the coverage, uh, they probably do to an extent, but they depend on media relationships, I suppose, as well. Um, then, uh, yeah, the yes argument there outweighs the no argument, I suppose, as well, because media coverage attracts attention to certain sports and providing news. It helps to get bums on seats as well, and obviously TV coverage. I mentioned Ladies Gaelic Football as an example. <coughs> TV Cahar are the sponsors there, and they show, I think, 13 or 14 games live every year, and there's a couple of delayed transmissions as well, and you wouldn't be getting that from the likes of RT or any of the other players at the moment, um, unfortunately. Um, have sports sold out to the media? I don't think so, for two reasons. They're not sh primarily shaped by the media or TV in particular. Um, social constructions emerge in connection with many of the social relationships. And the media, including television, they don't operate in a political and economic vacuum. Regulated by government, market factors, etc., and that sets limits then on the coverage and content also. Do they depend on sports? No. Um, most don't, to be fair, although obviously you have specific media outlets that are sports only. I suppose the title newspaper was one of those. It didn't last very long. Maybe that's why, because general, general, um, general media and sports maybe <coughs> doesn't go together. It is a niche at the end of the day. It doesn't impact on everybody's lives. But daily papers have depended on sports sections as well. Um, particularly in a time, I suppose, when it's challenging for the newspaper industry, most of most people will buy it for the good news side of things and the sports if their teams are doing well as well. Um, some TV companies actually depend on sports to fill programming schedules, and um, getting male viewers in, kind of getting that demographic right for advertisers as well. Um, so media coverage constructed around specific teams and messages, um, and I suppose you know this is relative to sport success. You know the winners, the losers, the final scores. I mean, if you look back in the last couple of weeks, um, the All Ireland finals. You know the winning and losing. It, it took up. You know that that focus took up a lot of not just sports coverage, but also. If you went to the inside, if you went into the first few pages of most newspapers, you also found a lot of coverage in relation to the fans and you know a lot of photos and a lot of copy around games as well. Um, so masculinity and femininity as well, I suppose. Uh, I won't exactly go through that, but um, just just to say, I suppose that you know there is. There is still that vibe between male-dominated coverage and f uh, female coverage across the mainstream media. It doesn't have to be about sports, but it's, it's what perceptions are out there as well, I suppose, in relation to one over the other. And you know, you go to a sports editor and you try and tell them how great ladies Gaelic football is, and it mightn't always work, um, even though um, you ask a lot of people and they say, well, ladies Gaelic football is actually better than the men's code because you can pick the ball clean off the ground, it's quicker, there's speed, it's less cynical, etc., etc. as well. So there's still those barriers to be broken down in terms of uh, sports media as well. Then as an extension of sports and racism, obviously there's a lot of change and I suppose GA is mainly my background, so that's kind of what I'm touching on here. But um, the, um, it, it doesn't matter if you're white in a sporting context, as it says there, it's a raised in coverage, it's assumed as the standard. But it's quite interesting actually because um, you, you can kind of touch on it as a positive as well as a negative. But one story this year was about a male footballer who won the under 21 All-Ireland back in April, May time. And 
nearly 100% sure, but he was, he, I think he was from Zimbabwe or somewhere like that, and his parents had moved over to Ireland when he was younger, and basically the story on RT News wasn't necessarily about Mayo winning the Under-21 All-Ireland Final, but that he was the first person to get an All-Ireland medal. So is that a story, or is it not? It depends, but it also depends on how you actually treat a story as well. Um, nationalism uh, is emphasised as well. You know, I suppose that touches on the area of bias as well. And, you know, in journalism, we're all human at the end of the day, so we do tend to have a little bit of bias as well. And I, I touched on it earlier on about you know, sports journalists being fans as well, and you know, sometimes that can cloud your actual in output as well. Um, certainly the role of sports journalists does matter um, both for cultural ideology and public consciousness as well. Um, there's tensions developed, I mentioned about positives I suppose in terms of the back pages but also some negative stories and there's been a couple of stories over the years where certain managers won't talk to journalists because of perceived things they've written etc etc etc. And ethical issues then as well, and because the stakes are so high, particularly I suppose if you're working in the national media, if you're working in local provincial media, maybe not as much. But and um, you know the last point there, I suppose as well, kind of as an extension of that, you could mention you know media bans, you know players not talking, etc., etc. As well, and also getting the same old drivel when it comes to GA players for most of the time as well. Didn't it? very hard to get anyone to say anything interesting these days, certainly coming up to games of big note and that's why it's important to build your relationship as well. Um, so just a comparison between sports writers and broadcasters, sports writers do a lot of work behind the scenes, seldomly recognised, uh, low salaries is true for most part, um, low regulation by sport management and I'm not sure what the last point was as well. Um, broadcasters then, there's a lot more celebrity involved, um, like I'm not saying I'm not a celebrity by any means, but I do a lot of radio work and you can go into places and start talking to people and you know, when you're in a shop or whatever, I know you from somewhere, that comes up an odd time. Uh, high salaries, uh, you know, that's really for about 5% of broadcasters really, your Ryan Tuberties of this world, your Martin Morrison's as I mentioned. Um, but you do have a lot of regulation then by your bosses as well in terms of what you can and cannot say. Um, print media then in comparison with broadcast media, print news, information, summaries of past events, concrete information, people pick up the Irish Times, it's the paper of record, you know, newspapers are more trusted <coughs> in that regard. Um, <coughs> you can also provide more critical coverage um, in, in a newspaper and in, in the print media world. Broadcast media is all about entertainment. Um, you know, it, it doesn't matter whether you're um, a presenter or a commentator or whatever. It's it's about bringing a bringing a, an entertainment factor to it as well. Um, highlighting the action and heroic displays. It's uh, it's all about the positive. You don't dwell too much in the negative. Um, but it also provides more supportive coverage to the um, sport it's covering and I, I would find sometimes too that that can be a, a grey area as well. It depends, like obviously you're showing sports, most of the time you're showing sports because you've bought the rights, so you've developed a uh, relationship with that particular uh, sports organisation and again kind of coming back to bias and how well you know somebody that can cloud what your output can be then as well. Um, and just to finish up, and uh, Jim mentioned it, and we hadn't been talking beforehand, but I'm talking there about building relationships between people as well, whether it's sports or other facets of the freelance world in journalism as well. And um, a lot of us in the journalism area of sport were shocked yesterday with Anthony Foley said as well. But, you know, I, I've, I've had a lot of cases over the years. Last year, um, there was a guy I got to know quite well. He was only 23, 24. I knew his brother quite well. He played football for Derry and he died of meningitis. And I went up to the funeral. And it's just, you know, it's not all about money and work at the end of the day. You know, we're humans. 
the people we are dealing with are humans and you know it's about having mutual respect between people as well and I think if you ever are feeling low at times and the money's not coming in or whatever you know there'll always be someone there to talk to as well so whether it's a famous person you've interviewed or something we all learn from each other as well so I just thought I'd put up a slide about Anthony there at the end just to finish off good stuff okay Colleen um, <coughs> uh, very very interesting what, what I'm going to do now I'm going to take questions that anybody might have specifically for Colleen while you're getting ready yeah. is that, is that yeah. fair enough and um, I, I, I kick off with my own question um, did did being a PRO, and I mean, I'm a former secretary, get to know commissioning editors, to get to know people in the media, and to get to know people in organisations, <coughs> when you then came along to start sending in invoices and, and, and write a copy, if you like? There's a certain Sunday newspaper, actually, that I'm just thinking back, and it's a while since I got involved with this, but a certain Sunday newspaper <coughs> would have... Uh, certainly had the fact that I was involved with the third level GA at the time in terms of getting my um, getting my message across in terms of getting work and different things like that. I suppose I touched on the Irish language part there and one, um, one thing that got me work was when I was a third level PRO, um, I was actually the first PRO so there was a blank canvas there in terms of what was expected as well and I, um, I uh, decided I'd send in 40 seconds roundups every day. There was a set of Sigerson Cup games um, uh, to RTE Radio and the And as a result of that, they said, oh, this guy's really enthusiastic about GA. His Irish isn't too bad. And they started getting me for matches. So it, it, it shows, I, I think, you know, I, I, I mentioned college a little <coughs> bit there, and I think the important thing, and I know most people here are well out of college, but you might go back, you never say never in this business, um, that you know, one of the things I would always say to people going to college is it's not just about the course you do, it's about what you do around that course. And likewise <laughs> with freelance journalism, it's not about you being a freelancer and pigeonholing yourself into a certain box. You have to, you kind of have to look outside or take on your own initiative quite a lot. I mean, we've all done that over the years and move, move towards something else. So it's, it certainly did help, but as I said at the very start, when I was in sixth year in um, secondary school, the 10th of September 2001, the day before 9-11, I was sitting in uh, study after school with very little homework to do, and I said, right, what did I do? And I just got out a piece of paper like this, got the pen out, and started planning a website about Leash GA and I ran that for a couple of years and then in 2003 the Leash GA made that an official website and um, Leash were lucky enough we won the Leinster Senior Football Championship in 2003 and I'd been asked on to um, Midlands 103 for a preview programme slot before the following Friday night I'd done my first broadcast <coughs> so it can be all kinds of circumstances as well but I think the two key things is don't be afraid to do something new, and also don't be afraid to use the contacts that you have as well. Fair enough. Yeah. Okay. Any? Yeah. Hi. Thanks so much for an interesting talk. Um, my name's Natalie. I'm here in town, so I'm going to tell from my voice. So. Uh, what part in the UK are you from? Norwich. Do you oh, know it? Yeah. Yeah. Alan Partridge, mustard. <laughs> Um, I wanted to touch on, you mentioned that the LGFA have an embedded freelance journalist, yeah. Jackie Kale. Mm. Um, can I get your take on how this is different from a PR person? I'm just, um, I'm struggling to see the positive in having Yeah, uh, well, I, it's, it's a role, the, uh, the, the Komogi Association did the exact same thing, and it's actually, for both organisations, I used to do it, um, continuously for Komogi a few years ago and for the ladies Gaelic football I've actually done it on occasion when Jackie isn't available um, from a ladies football centre from the way they approach it I suppose Jackie's given a, a, a clean slate like obviously he's told right you produce a report on X match and you do an interview afterwards or whatever but if he wants to be critical about a game he can 
So I think that's kind of the difference between uh, an organization employing a journalist to do something, certainly in a sporting context, and being a PR machine where, oh, isn't this great, or aren't they lovely girls, whatever. You know, so I, that's kind of the distinction. I think that's there. I don't know necessarily if they even think of it like that, because I don't, like, I'd be at all the games that Jackie would be at, pretty much, uh, in terms of ladies' football, and I don't think he really needs to write anything negative, to be honest, either, like, um, but certainly if there are negatives, he's not stopped from... Sure. Can I come at you with a part two? Yeah. Just, um, I wonder if you feel at all that this model might threaten your uh, your livelihood as a freelance sports journalist in a way that it has. You mentioned it, it that has. It has. offered for free. Sorry. You mentioned that they might be running this copy for free. That it's disseminated. Yes. The, yes. The, yeah. The newspapers run the copy for free. So basically, Jackie gets X amount of money from the Ladies Gaelic Football Association or Daryl Crowher, who does the uh, Camogie at the moment, the same. And then the newspapers get that content for free. <coughs> oh, the websites, everybody does as well. Um, but uh, yes, did, and it already has because I before this model came into play. I would have covered ladies Gaelic football for a couple of years and I would have serviced a lot of the outlets that now get the copy for free. But interestingly enough, uh, in some cases outlets don't want the copy for free and they want to generate their own stuff because as a downside to the whole thing, it's the same stuff appearing everywhere. No, it's the exact the same yeah. thing, word for word. And yeah, there's no unique selling point. Then, like you know, you're. It's um, how shall I put it? It's it's basically like propaganda. Yeah. It's like being Hitler, and you know, you're controlling the content. I know that's a bit extreme, but it's just what popped into my head there. <laughs> can, we, can we keep any further questions till after yeah. Steve is Steve is welcome? I, I'm conscious. Sorry. Um. So I'm going to keep it fairly brief and just talk a bit about a I suppose how I went from freelancing to getting a staff job in a publication uh, and b what we look for then in that publication from our freelancers because we do employ quite a lot of freelancers. Um, Colleen and I actually went to the same small school on the Kildare Leash border uh, by, by uh, strange coincidence but I came to journalism much later than Colleen did. I was one of those people whom the Leaving Cert didn't serve ended up doing marketing, got quite a decent job that I worked in for eight years, but then when Celtic Tiger came crashing down, uh, so too did my job. So I took the opportunity of my redundancy leave to go back to college, um, did a master's in journalism and just started writing. Uh, originally I was working in the arts, working in music journalism, working in theatre criticism. That was fine, uh, I did that for a couple of years, but the the lag date on the payments started becoming basically unmanageable from some publications, particularly magazines. You'd be upwards of 90 days after publications waiting for, for payment. So it was a case of four times having to threaten one particular magazine with the, the small claims court. And so I decided that, right, maybe the late nights of, of music journalism and, and, and arts criticism wasn't for me. So. I had obviously had a, a long interest in sports, specifically the NFL and American football was, was the sport I suppose closest to my heart, which for a, a, guy, a young lad from uh, Monastrevin and came to Kildare is probably a bit, a bit strange, but uh, I, the journal had just launched and the sports section, which was then called The Score, uh, I had followed a few of the journalists on Twitter. Uh, actively engaged with the editor, Adrian Russell, uh, about American football because he was a fan. and. One evening watching uh, the NFL tweeted at him say, look, I'm a journalist, I coach an American football team, I see there's a gap in the content on the site for uh, US sports coverage in particular uh, and the NFL, uh, is that something you'd be interested in me providing some content for? So strangely enough, I started out as a columnist, uh, so every Monday I'd have a column about the weekend's action or about the big talking point from the weekend. That turned into a, a regular new shift where I came in, they trained me up into the, the content management system that the, the 42, as it's now called, uses. And I'd write about a variety of sports, not just American football, but 
at this stage, I can count on one hand the number of people in Europe who are actually paid to write about American football, and I count myself as very lucky to be one of those people. And one of the things I would say is that we get emails from freelancers all the time telling us, I can write about soccer, or I can write about Gaelic football. And that's great. I can write about soccer and Gaelic football. What is it that makes you different from everyone else we're getting these emails from? And the thing, I suppose, that we look for in, in freelancers is not just, obviously, good writing comes expected. The ability to add something of extra value. You're writing for mobile, so I always think about it is, can I get the point of my story across in a three-stage bus ride, which is where people mostly read us, on the train, on the bus, even on the loo sometimes, we've been told by the um, feedback we get. So it's, it's a skill to write for mobile. You're writing in one-sentence paragraphs. You're taking what people are probably watching at the same time as you. So we're in the Aviva for Ireland uh, versus Georgia or we're there for a rugby match. And the people who are coming to the read the report or to coming to read their ratings are seeing the same thing as you. So you have to make that a different experience when they get into the report or into the player ratings. And part of the skills that we look for from the freelancers is that they you can instantly recognize that they have put their own spin, I suppose, uh, on the game. Uh, the video qualifications is something we're looking at very much at the moment. We had a young lad come straight out of DCU, he freelanced with us for a week and he was made staff because his video skills were so good. We had to snap him up before somebody else snapped him up. Uh, in terms of payment, I mean, uh, a lot of the time online gets maybe criticism. From our point of view, once someone starts as a freelancer, they are, on, they are paid. They invoice once a month, they're paid once a month. There's no delay, it's a four week it's a four-week system, your expenses are covered, everything like that. Uh, the rates are obviously, uh, depending on experience, depending on qualifications, that matters. But they are, I mean, I probably earned more as a freelancer working for the 42 than I do as staff, but I have the security of staff, I have pension, I have all the other things that come with it, uh, which is why I took the offer, I suppose, of staff. But I, the thing that I can't drive home enough is, is that if you have a a love of a particular sport that you feel is not being serviced. Like Murray Kinsella came to us and he, I think, has changed the way rugby is covered in Ireland. He brought an analysis to rugby that has never been seen before in print, in inverted commas, uh, through his, I suppose, deep dive into the nuances of the game. It's not just a, an overview of what happened, it's why it happened. And again, he's another person who started out as a freelancer and was very quickly made staff because he was able to display a and the ability to take something very technical and very skilled and bring it to the masses. Uh, we obviously have a particular business model, uh, Colleen touched on, on sponsored content. All I can speak of for us is that the sponsors have no impact on editorial. They have no say whatsoever on what goes in or, or what's left out, I suppose, which is sometimes more important. Uh, I think on, on women in, in sports journalism, we don't have a full-time uh, woman journalist on staff. We have two freelancers we use, and we have Sinead O'Carroll, who also works for the journal, who covers a lot of the bigger sporting events for us, because it actually turned out quite handy in Rio uh, this summer to have a news journalist there who had a knowledge of sport as well, um, as always tends to be the case, I think, with uh, Irish sporting events. But the... like. The only other thing I suppose I can I can say from my point of view is that I, I sometimes despair at we all make typos. I mean that's why they have the delete and erase keys on keyboards. But when I see applications, when I see feature pitches coming in that contain mistakes, that clearly they've just put it together and they've sent it to as many outlets as possible. I mean that person is never getting a chance. I think you, you need to give yourself the best opportunity going forward and if you make a good impression as like you know one tweet did for me you might necessarily you might get the same now, i'm not saying that's going to work for everyone like colleen obviously has a very different experience to how he got into it but that for me is is the key is that what makes you different than everyone else and that's why you will end up getting the employment okay thanks So, just throw it out to questions then for our two speakers. Steve, I'm just looking through your. Jerry, yeah. 
Jerry you're going to identify yourself. Jerry, Jerry, Jerry Carson, Belfast. Just looking through your supporting headlines. Uh, and dare I say it, uh, it's all about people who play with balls. Um, there was a fairly important athletics event yesterday. And I don't see it mentioned of it anywhere. Yeah. In fact, I, I, I very rarely see athletics mentioned. Uh, Tyson Gay gets a mention because his daughter got bumped off. But beyond that, Audience, audience. Do, you, do you have an opening for a decent athletic writer? We have an opening for decent writers across any sport. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, two things I'm interested in your reaction to. The first is I'm interested in the, in, in the whole thing about, you know, is commercialism and is money swamping football? I suspect a lot of the I mean, I, I, you know, I, I don't, I'm, I'm not an expert on Irish sports at all, but I think the, 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 the difference, particularly to soccer, um, is, is really, really striking. And it seems to me, you know, journalism and soccer is, is it certainly in, in the major leagues, is, is almost impossible without the commercial influence. And the other is, I'm interested in your views on the kind of the risks among sports journalists of being too close to the things that they're writing about. I mean, there's a term for it, uh, which comes from this sort of lamentable coverage of Glasgow Rangers um, uh, financial meltdown, you know, of, of, of tender lamb journalism, journalism that's um, you know that's kind of afraid to to ask uncomfortable questions. And I can you know I can think of of some Irish sporting heroes about whom you know particularly as as Seamus mentioned, I know cycling is the way I know quite a lot about them. You know, one can think of Irish cycling stars of the 1980s who you know might not have been as clean as people would have very much open to me, and yet there was just no asking of those questions and no forcing those points for nearly two decades. I mean, how do you see those forces influencing? Well, actually, going back to athletics, I was at an event with Thomas Barr recently, and it was just after the therapeutic use exemption headlines started coming up about Team Sky and about other athletes. And I asked him, had he ever used them? Uh, sorry, I, I asked him what his thoughts were on the use of them, and then I asked him, had he ever used them? Another journalist in the room kind of tutted and said, oh, you must be bored of answering these questions. And you're saying, well, if we stop asking these questions, then A, the content is going to be very bland, and B, someone, like, if I didn't get to ask the follow-up question, which was, have you ever used one, I wouldn't have known whether he'd been hypocritical in his first answer. So I think it's important that a lot of journalism is done with an athlete sitting here and 12 journalists sitting in front of him we all get the same copy and it's all divvied out. You take the first three minutes, I'll take the next three minutes. And I think that's a bigger threat to the, the fear of maybe pissing off uh, a fellow journalist who you might have to work with in future. The fear of asking a question that you think, will, will that stop the PR company who have organised this event asking me to the next one? But you still have to do your job and that's the most important thing. Like, Nothing was stopping me from asking that question, the disapproval of a peer or not, because the question has to be asked. And I think as long as they're, and I think that's the majority of journalists, that they will still ask the question. I think that's, I think that's the bright spot with all the commercialism that goes on around these events. From my perspective, I've been quite lucky over the years because I suppose radio is kind of my first love, even though I've probably done as much with newspapers <coughs> as radio, but often I would go to a press conference as radio, but I'd actually be writing for a paper maybe as well, you know, the, jo the joys of having more than one paymaster. But um, I'm lucky enough, I get an awful lot of one-on-ones because I'm doing radio. So I don't have that awkwardness of being in that group with journalists, and I suppose in a lot of cases as well in sport, even though it's becoming more and more manufactured as well, and I suppose Stephen touched on getting quality answers, um, a, a lot of sports stars aren't necessarily trained up in the media, and I suppose Gaelic Games would be my main thing, but I would cover athletics, boxing, I've been at plenty of athletics events, so I got a text there while Stephen was talking to cover the Dublin Marathon, it's probably my 10th Dublin Marathon to cover. Uh, with another Jim Othney, yeah, <laughs> but uh, the uh, the um, the the thing about it is how how you how you treat your subject as well, how comfortable they are talking to you. And the one thing I found any time I'm in a pool of journalism, pool of journalists interviewing sports there, 
they might have three or four questions, then there's a fifth question, and then someone takes the conversation in a totally different direction as well. And that can kind of uh, affect kind of the quality of answer you're going to get as a result as well. Plus, the other thing as well, because I, I know an awful lot of sports people quite well, particularly GAA players, and just at the weekend there's a press conference in Crow Park happening right now about the Shinty Hurling Internationals in Scotland next Saturday and the under 21 captain is a hurler from Kerry and he sent me a message at the weekend what are these guys going to be asking me like there's a worry there as well you know that everyone's out to get you as well and I suppose in sport we're not as negative but we can be negative at times but uh, there's the perception there that it's them against us and you have to you have to build those bridges and um, you mentioned about like that close relationship as well uh, it can work another way as well I've got interviews with players when I shouldn't have and said if anyone asked any questions they were done three weeks previously before all Ireland finals because I was stuck for an interview and you know that those are the, those are the things that can benefit you as well whether it's you know how, how many journalists have had uh, articles based on information from Garby, for instance, I know that's kind of totally different, but it's because of the relationship you've had working with those particular Garby or whatever, you might get tipped off on something that there's going to be a drugs bus and then a camera suddenly shows up outside and it's Paul Reynolds, you know, so it can work both ways as well. Yeah, uh, just add my tuppence worth on this. Um it, my, my background is business journalism and um, you know I suppose people tended to see a business journalism as a bit of a specialty and people would tend to see business journalists as almost being embedded in the, the, the new neoliberal capitalism ethos and all that but but I know even even in my situation I remember interviewing um, you know the one the one-to-ones I think is, is where you're going to get the days of Getting in a sneaky good question at a at a press conference, uh, you know, they're usually they're usually smothered fairly well. But the one to ones, I remember, uh, getting the, the boss of Kingspan to admit that when things slow down, that uh, you know it wouldn't be too bad, and that was our lead, you know. And the PR man fucking was only a young lad starting off, and thought thought he was onto millionaire status, and he was absolutely disgusted with me, but. I like to think that now that the financial collapse came, that at least I put up <laughs> one headline saying, when the slowdown comes, it won't be too bad. And, you know, I mean, business journalists have been correctly excoriated for not saying, when is this bubble going to burst, or is this bubble going to burst, or is it going to be a soft landing, or why didn't we listen to the guys that warned us? Did you, know? you have problems dealing with Kingspan after that as a result? No, I mean, we, you know, we, most we, of the time, Okay. Yeah, yeah. They, they know they have to deal with me, and I was writing about. Uh, I was the only one who was interested in concrete blocks and, <laughs> and insulation <laughs> because I worked in Carlow from Mersey's, and and uh, you know so, you know they have to deal with you in, in a lot. And and often it comes down to the editor. If the editor gets a phone call saying that Jim Ockney's after asking very awkward questions and you didn't like that coverage this morning, the editor is the guy that should be able to deflect it and say, ah, well, you know. That it's a good story and we're standing over it. And uh, should there be other chances of getting a good old plug in for you than your appointing your finance director or whatever? Uh, there's there's different ways of skinning cats. Let's face it. One thing I I absolutely meant to say and I completely forgot was that the best performing sports stories are the human interest ones. If you're a good features writer, it doesn't matter that you if you've no interest in sports. If you can tell a human story then that's going to be the best performing, most successful, most interesting story. We save those for like Saturday and Sunday morning when people have a bit of time with their coffee, lazy in their face or whatever. But you, you think you're going in with one story and you come out with a completely different one. Um, I'm, I'm doing a story at the moment about a guy who has had, I initially contacted him because it's an extreme adventure, but it turns out he has this huge backstory that is going to be of interest to more people who don't like sports probably than people who do like sports because again I understand that sports is a niche thing so don't ever be afraid even if you're not a sports journalist to pitch a feature at a sports publication if there is some way of tying it back to sports because human interest is, is that's why we read about people's lives about people's that's why we're so interested in the wives and girlfriends of footballers or whoever as well because ultimately as humans we want to know about other humans. 
Any more questions? For yep, uh, I'll take. Um, just on that note, um, I noticed that you um, that you uh, reported on Ruby Walsh winning um, the American Grand National, and um, then what I'm wondering is, I've worked in racing all my life. I'm just getting into freelance journalism, and um, I'm actually not interested in rating uh, racing from a betting perspective. And a lot of the articles and the likes of racing posts. Is there any room on the likes of your website for stories like that? It could have been backed up last night by Ruby winning two races in Cork in less than 24 hours from winning the American race. Stuff like that, is that of any interest Absolutely. or is it all betting? No, no, uh, and one of the things we're trying to move away from is the betting angle on sporting events. It's such, it's a very easy way in on mobile because you give people you know, five bets for the Premier League weekend. That's you covering all the Premier League football you know, in, in one easy place. But for racing is not a, it, it wouldn't be something that would traditionally do well for us unless it's the Ruby Walsh, the, the Willie Mullins of this world. But again, if you can find the, he's coming back 24 hours later winning in Ireland, that angle is going to be published. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, um, yep. Steve McGovern, freelance uh, writer. Um, you kind of touched on saturation in the market of like football, GA, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, do you think it's kind of for freelance writers trying to get into sports journalism? Is it focusing on niche kind of areas the way in? If I well, it worked for me. Is all yeah. is all yeah. I can tell you. Uh, it worked for Murray in the sense that he had a very specific set of skills for writing about rugby. It was all about the the technical aspect of it that no one had written about before. And there's a few others in there like that as well. Like Ryan Bailey, who writes for us, he came in as a cricket writer. Uh, and again, but once you get in the door and once you get started, our, our freelance works in shifts mo uh, mostly. So you you do a few freelance shifts and you, you're expected to cover the news desk, write features, etc. And you're paid a, a shift rate for that. Uh, but I would think that your way in is definitely true niche, but you will be expected to be able to cover pretty much everything. Yeah. Anyone? Other questions? I know Colleen has to uh, go off and do a bit of real work. Uh, if you're Dublin football, they're waiting for you. <laughs> yeah, well, you better go. <laughs> Reach your contact. Yeah. yeah I'll just stand up because we're at the back there. Dave Hooper's my name. And Hi, I'm Dave. Well. I just wonder there um, if Colleen or Steve would, would know there. Have you ever had to be put in a position where you've had to cover two events at once at different parts of the country? And <laughs> <laughs> By location. Yes, and I've been able to do it. <laughs> That's the short answer. Um, I suppose. Touched a bit on technology, and I know the likes of Aileen and Glenn will be talking a lot more about technology in the next world. But it, it is it's getting increasingly in, in sport, I find as well, it's getting increasingly easier to actually cover events by sitting at home. And it's actually in some cases, and my mother used to always say this even before Twitter and Facebook came along, but you see more on the TV. I mean, I'm not sure about Stephen or Dave, but how often you've been in press boxes, maybe at games. It's happened a couple of times over the years in a GA sense, um, where you know there's a replay shown, there's a particular incident, someone's after giving somebody a whack, and not one journalist in the press box has seen it. But that sibling or that parent at home that's watching has sent you a text going, this is what Joe Brodie's after saying about this. And that's actually the news line of the day and you're actually present at the event with thousands of others but you've missed it so yeah I, I, I think um, yeah it, uh, technology has it, it's important to have a second set of eyes on a TV yeah. when you're covering sports events um, but to go back to your actual question and um, as I said yes I have and probably shouldn't have but <laughs> I've had I've you didn't tell the editors no, <laughs> and I've done it more on one yeah. occasion as well. I'm reminded of a, of a, a story, Eric Luke, he's uh, with the Irish Times, I think he does a lot of videos of matches now for, mm. the, for the Times site, but uh, there was, he was sent by the news desk from the Irish Times, there was a, I think it was Shamrock Rovers and Bowes were playing in Lansdowne Road or someplace, and there was a big riot going on, and so he, he, he was with the press at the time, so he, he, he lashed out to Lansdowne Road and he met Con Hoolan coming out, and uh, the game was just finished, and uh, he goes, Con, Con, what's happening? He says, worst fucking game of football I ever saw. He said, Con hadn't realised there was a riot at all. Because <laughs> he was watching the pitch. So uh, this can happen too. Um, any more questions for... Uh, 
de departing calling and are you going to stay with us for another while? We can. Yeah. I'll be back for lunch if anyone <laughs> wants to. I always make it back for lunch. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no more questions. Um, Gary, do we move on to our next uh, section? Are we having a break now? Or yeah, we having a break now? Yeah, I know, uh, I know, we're six minutes early, but <laughs> I always like beating deadlines. You know, you're slightly early. You never, get, you never get a complaint for being early for a deadline. The there's supposed to be some tea and coffee refreshments just for mid-morning break. They're on the way, but they're not quite here yet. So keep an eye at the door, and you'll see okay. them arrive shortly. Maybe we we'll put our hands together for the two lads. I think. Those of you who have smokes uh, and need them out the front door, I used to be one of those and I'm happily no longer, so I'll be in the corner looking smug. <laughs> and uh, one thing I didn't say at the very start this morning, and I say it at every event, is look at the person sitting beside you to either side, and if you already know them, sit somewhere else when you come back <laughs> and say hello to a stranger. Because above anything else, this day is about networking. Network with each other as well as with the people you, you, you need to speak to here as well. Thank you. Uh, tea will be there shortly and we'll resume then at midday. <laughs>